this is Fiona, one of the co-hosts of the DM's Book Club, a weekly book club podcast where we read about some Dungeons Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. In this episode, I got to interview some of the creative team behind the latest installment of the Uncaged series. I got a chance to sit down and chat with art director David Markuski and writing director Jessica Markram. Uncage is a groundbreaking, critically acclaimed collection of myth and folklore-themed adventures written for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Each original adventure subverts tropes around a female or femme-presenting mythological creature, including hags, harpies, medusas, and much, much more. The series was created by more than 100 writers, artists, designers, and editors from across the globe. The latest instalment in the series is Uncage Goddesses which focuses exclusively on Tier 4 adventures that showcase feminist reimaginings of classic D&D goddesses. Classic D&D goddesses. Honestly, it's a fantastic book, and it was just great to chat to David and Jessica about their passions and how much they enjoyed working on the book. 100% would recommend getting Uncaged Goddesses, as it would make a fabulous addition to your D&D collection. You can find links to Uncaged Goddesses and to David and Jessica's other work in the episode description. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy. See you on the flip side. Thank you so much guys for coming um can you just tell us a little bit about yourselves who are you and what do you do david you go first uh hi i'm david markuski i am one of the producers on uncaged goddesses also an artist and one of the art directors uh, on the book i'm jessica markram i'm the writing director for uncaged goddesses and also a writer game designer and sensitivity reader so how did you both get into role-playing games? Are you regular players and GMs yourselves? Uh, yeah, I think I started playing role-playing games maybe four or five years ago and pretty much started writing uh, writing my own stuff about two months after starting to play. So. <laughs> it wasn't good enough for you. You're like, no, this should be my stuff. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, here's a creative medium that I can throw myself into. Yeah, I probably, I have no sense of time, so I think I started seven years ago, but it might have been more or less, and yeah, I almost immediately started GMing after that, and writing is very similar to GMing, in a way that people besides you can understand. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Is it mostly D&D for both of you, or is it a whole range of different systems or genres? I think for probably for both of us, it's a pretty big range of different systems yeah. and genres. Definitely started off with D&D and probably for the first like maybe year or two years, that's pretty much the majority of what I played. But um, over the past couple of years, I've definitely been expanding into other systems and creating my own, own games and yeah. Yeah, David made a great game called Utopia that's available on Drive-Thru <laughs> RPG. Everyone should get it. Oh. Um, <laughs> but D&D wasn't the first game that I played. I, I wanted to play it because it was, you know, name recognition. And uh, my DM at the time was like, no, because it's the one everybody knows. So we're not going to play it for a while. So yeah, I didn't play it for a while. And then the first game I ever ran was Mouse Guard. So oh, yes. I came to D&D later. Yeah. But it was the first game that I wrote for publication as part of Uncaged. So I've always kind of written for a little bit of everything because I've had my hands in whatever. <laughs> Whoever will have me, that's who I'll write for. I think that's completely fair. Yeah, I'm a big fan of running other systems and trying other systems as well as obviously the big one, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, let's get straight to it then. So for those who don't know, what is Uncaged Goddesses and how does it sort of stand out from other D&D modules or D&D related books? 
So it's a, uh, an anthology of Tier 4 adventures, exclusively Tier 4 adventures, each one of them centering around one of the goddesses in one of the D&D pantheons. So most of them end up being from the Forgotten Realms, but also there's uh, three other adventures, one each from Ravenloft, Eberron, and Theros. And each adventure is written by a different author and features different artists in it. Yeah, and the original Uncaged started as flipping femur, femcoated monsters, reclaiming them, and flipping the tropes around them. So this is kind of an extension of that, but on a higher level. And for anyone who doesn't know the tiers, tier four just means levels 17 through 20. Each of the goddesses that's featured in Uncaged Goddesses is a an evil or neutral goddess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the kind of tagline that we went for with the book was every villain has her reasons because mm-hmm. rather than flipping tropes like we did with in the original or the first four uncaged volumes we sort of concentrated on explaining each of the each of the evil and uh, neutral goddesses and why they do what they do mm-hmm. so so we're not saying like oh this goddess is actually a good goddess but everyone just looks at them evil we kind of kept that evil persona and said well they actually have reasons why they're doing it It, they're not just evil for the sake of being evil and i think that's really an interesting sort of way to look at it as well because a lot of the times when we're putting into our games like here is the villain and obviously as players you only see the villainous things but to actually make them have reasons and a backstory and and like a drive makes them almost sort of even though they are all in the all 21 of these adventures, they are deities, right? So it's very hard to relate to a deity, but they have almost like human flaws. And so it makes it more relatable during the game. So I thought that was really interesting. And yeah, that tagline that every villain has their reasons is just great tagline, guys. Like you guys know that, but um, I thought that was really cool. So why did you pick tier four though, as a focus? Obviously you could have games with deities and be a much lower level, but why tier four particularly? I think we wanted the players to be at the level to where first the goddesses were interested in them. So the gods could call on them personally. And also we wanted it to be feasible in some cases for them to fight the goddesses because at tier four, you're very close to being God level yourself and everybody gets all funky about like the Tarrasque or the Kraken. I've had players who are like tier three tackle those creatures. And I I am known for being a kind of nice DM, but (laughs) you know, it can be done, but a God is on a completely different Mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. And even though in a lot of these adventures, players end up not wanting to fight the goddesses, we wanted the potential to be there Mm -hmm. to where they feasibly could if they wanted to and uh, maybe survive, (laughs) (laughs) depending on the goddess. Yeah, of course, of course. So do you two have a particular favorite adventure? I know it's going to be very hard to pick. I appreciate because they're all brilliant. But do you have a particular favorite goddess, perhaps, that has been brought to life in Uncaged at all? So my favorite adventures throughout the book tend to always be the ones that really do something weird and unexpected or approach something in a really weird, different way. So like, (laughs) yeah, how each author kind of approached dealing with the goddess themselves is probably like the most interesting part of the book to me is that I don't think any author approached that interaction of character and goddess in the same way. Mm. Um, 
So like a couple of the, the highlights for me were the Leviatar adventure that Jess mentioned, where it kind of rethinks the way that Leviatar interacts with pain, because mm. in normal canon lore, she's the, the maiden of pain, and she kind of gets this like femme dominatrix sort of look in all of her official art. But the author kind of took a step back and said, well, the flip side of pain is love. Mm. And let's talk about how love and pain interact within people. And it kind of gets right to the root of that and does some really crazy, interesting things with role playing. Mm. Um, yeah, it's about as far as like typical D&D yeah. as I think the book gets. And I love that adventure because it opens players up to like, other kinds of games. We always talked about that as like our our gateway drug to mm. non-GND because it feels very much like an indie game in yes. how it plays. Yeah, definitely. That one's very interesting because again, you could I could see that be running that game. Again, I'm trying to give no spoilers to it at all. But I think it's definitely one, it's an interesting one to read, I think, if you were thinking of running any one of these games. I definitely recommend reading it that one because I could see that you could just just role play it completely, that particular adventure, and never have a dice roll in it at all. Or use a different system completely. What about you, Jessica? Is there a particular obviously you've mentioned one, but is there any other adventures that you like, this is really good or oh, you just really love? I mean, I, I'm the writing director, so they're all kind of my babies, but also I wrote one. So I um, I love my Luthic adventure. Mm -hmm. That was really fun for me to get to explore stuff with the orcs and Luthic. I had a lot of fun with her. Mm -hmm. I love her so much. And also I pretty much any adventure that is, and this is a lot of them, but whenever they get to go to another plane and deal with the rules for the way things work in in the planes. So like I did it in my adventure, also in the Shar adventure. Mm. Uh, the rules of travel work differently in that it's based on your intelligence. That's what your walk speed is based on. And there's a lot in there that is damaging to your intelligence to slow you down, which is fun. There's stuff affecting your movement in the Kiransali adventure mm -hmm. too. And also I love how Jesse did the Kiransali stat block in that because she's one of the few goddesses that you meet in like her throne room basically. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you cannot defeat her. Like she doesn't have a stat block. She just has actions to hurt you. And Jesse's an old school designer. Like he used to work for white wolf. He was one of the original fallout devs. So he's like, here, this is how it, this is how it works. <laughs> and um, I, I really like that. That's another one of the ones that I really, really enjoyed um, just because it takes such a different approach to what everyone kind of expects mm. like the characters go into that throne room ready to beat up a goddess who they think is doing something bad and when they get there if they try to beat her up they realize that they just can't she's just a goddess at the seat of her power on the plane that is all hers and she has no hit points yeah <laughs> she has no hit points she's gonna mess you up i got to play test that adventure and uh it was just a super blast to run asking about which goddess is your favorite throughout the the uncaged discord um Char has become a lot of people's favorites Char and uh, Liptol Ploop are uh, <laughs> pretty much I'm glad you know that's how it's pronounced because I was like I'm not entirely sure so I'm never gonna say it out loud <laughs> mm -hmm. it's okay uh, for the whole pitching process I kept misreading Leviatar as Larvitar so I kept spamming the discord with like Pokemon gifts <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think Char and Blipdolploop are like our mascot goddesses. We keep throwing in gifts of like crabs and lobsters. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I still stand Kiransili though. There's something in the in the adventure that really kind of actually it's not even really a spoiler because it's kind of the heart of the adventure about how she was poisoned and constantly feels this chronic pain, which kind of really spoke to me in a way that I've that none of the others did because my mother has lived with chronic pain forever. Um, so yeah, I kind of became a Kiransili stand throughout reading the adventure and playing through it and now I'm drawing extra art for it for no reason. <laughs> you know you've had an impact if you had to continue to draw stuff after it's already out. <laughs> and yeah, to go back to your point about the stat block for goddesses, because I think one of the key things I certainly feel, and it came up whenever I play Call of Cthulhu, as soon as you give a stat block to entities like that, that well, then they can be defeated. But now I just love that idea. It's like, yeah, well, we'll just get rid of that one thing, which is hit points. And it doesn't matter. And I thought that that's such a small, a little thing, but it's beautiful as well. So that means, yeah, we can have this big fight if you really want. It's just never going to end. It was almost like, um, I guess, uh, like a Hellblade's, uh, Senua's sacrifice. You're fighting this big, horrible, evil thing at the end. You're trying to get game. Such a good game. Um, (laughs) And I, I definitely remember that final fight, just fighting for 20 minutes. And then realizing, oh, I have to be defeated. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, I don't understand that. Does it just keep coming at me? And I was like, because yeah, I'm supposed to be defeated. So I like that. Yeah. I, I love that. Just getting, like I said, like, that little twist of the, of the sat block, meaning, yeah, yeah, we get to have these big fights, but the players don't know if they're going to win or not, and they're not going to win. That's great. Yeah. That's a great. Like, I'm trying so hard. <laughs> Yeah, one of the things with Luthic that I did with her that was uh, fun for me, because I I don't know, I think combat in D&D can be kind of a slog. Sometimes it doesn't have my favorite combat system, but Luthic likes fighting. That's one of the things that she's really into is fighting. So if characters want to fight her, she'll fight them for a certain number of rounds before she is like, good job. I'll do what you want because you put up a good fight Mm. and they don't necessarily have to kill her. They just Mm. need to like impress her. Like if they can't talk her down or they don't want to talk her down, they don't necessarily have to kill her. So that way they still get to have a fight with a goddess. Yeah, yeah, Um, definitely. Which is fun. I completely agree. Because yeah, there's only some point where you're just like, it's not getting anywhere. Let's just, let's take the higher ground with the goddess going, okay, enough, (laughs) enough now. Let's let's move the story on in some way. You have impressed me because you've, yeah, she me. tells them that they're boring now. <laughs> God, imagine that as a DM, being able to tell your players that. That's great. <laughs> Just stopping them in their traps. So when you were sort of coming up with the pitch for this, obviously, you know, you wanted to include goddesses. So did you have like a list of goddesses you wanted to, like, and you gave it out to the, to the writers? Or did you have people pitch to you what goddesses there were? Like, what was the process in basically picking who goes in the book? So we did leave it open to anyone who was pitching to pitch for whatever goddess they wanted to. But we, we did, did have a list of like every evil goddess and right. I think the neutral goddesses, but just to see, like, make sure that we weren't getting pitches for like the good goddesses. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we did a little bit of homework beforehand, but we also did a poll beforehand to see what goddesses people had heard about the most. Hmm. Um, it was kind of like a little bit of a, hey, here's something to get you ready to for when we ask you for a pitch later. But it was also to kind of see, get an idea of which goddesses we expected people would pitch for. Hmm. Um, and which ones absolutely needed to be in the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if um, Tiamat wasn't in there, people would be like, well, this book is wrong. <laughs> yeah, all said and done, we had, uh, I think, 220 
222 pitches or 226 pitches total. Yeah, I know uh, it was over 200. Yeah, so we ended up spending or having a lot the of them were for blood <laughs> No, only eight. Was that uh, it? Yeah. The okay. Did <laughs> it feel like a lot more? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, we had none. And then Oliver Darkshire on Twitter was like, everyone needs to pitch for blip bloop. And we suddenly got like a ton that day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think Oral had the most, though. If I remember. That's probably because Frostmaiden was pretty fresh out, in yeah. everybody's mind. Yeah. And I think Umberly as well had a, was like second most. But um, yeah, first other- Umberly and Tiamat had like next to none, I think. And we were like, don't, because everybody kept pitching for like obscure, weird goddesses. Mm. And we were like, you really don't have to do that, please. Like, I remember we put out an announcement that was like, you don't need to go as deep as you think you do. We have no. one Tiamat pitch. And then <laughs> yeah. people like, opened up a little bit right 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 yeah we expected to have just tons of lulth and tons of tiamat but Mm. um it turned out that they were both like pretty low on the on the submission count i think we only had four lulth adventures pitched Mm. yeah Uh, we had a lot for bishaba a lot for bishaba and a lot for shar yeah but we got some really amazing ones out of those ones like our our Loth adventure is oh, just, cracking. Love it. it's brain breaking uh, that you get to go back and talk to Arashni when she's being tempted into turning into Loth and kind of influence those events. And it's just, it's so good. Yeah, that, um, I, I quite like that one with the time travel aspect and like, yeah, you're at the beginning of this great schism with the, you know, with the elves and all that. It's like really good. I really like that one. It's because that's such, such a, a key moment in the, obviously that history as well. And just being able to almost Doctor Who it in a way. And it's like, oh no, what have we done? Yeah. Love that. It's, yeah, it's totally a Doctor Who moment. But like also... what's best for Lulz might not be best for the world, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, and like it's it's one that I haven't DM'd yet, but I'm it's like one of the top of my list to DM next because I really love the idea of getting into Loth's head as the DM yeah. and like why is Loth wanting the players to do this? Mm-hmm. Like what is Loth's big grand plan that this all fits into? So I think that'd be really is going to be like really interesting to see how DMs kind yeah. of fit it into their own campaigns. Was there any particular goddess that you were like, Oh, it just didn't make the cup and you really wanted it in? Yes. I have a very... Deep Dura? Was it Deep Dura? Because I know she didn't make the cut. No, it was Nang Nang. We had one pitch for Nang Nang and I desperately wanted Nang Nang in the book. I I don't even think I saw that pitch. I must not have gotten that one on my sheet. No, it made it to the second round, but didn't make the final cut because basically we had... 18 slots that were kind of picked for goddesses and then we had a pool of all the smaller ones and we had uh three slots for them so i think um out of that i think there were nine adventures that hit that extra pot and three of the nine got through and those were uh the great mother beholder was one of them i love that adventure i just ran that one on friday it's so (gasps) fun that is a lot of fun Wait, no, mm-hmm. it was a week ago. It was I ran it le- the Friday before this one. I, I like I said, I'm really bad at time. I'm, but yeah, I was very committed to Nang Nang because mm-hmm. I love a frog god. Mm-hmm. So I think I recused myself from that <laughs> that selection <laughs> part because I was like, I don't think I can be unbiased towards this. No, yeah, because it would just always appear. <laughs> it's like, oh, how did it get in this pile? Yeah, fair yeah. enough, fair enough. 
Yeah, I remember really liking the deep Durapitch, but I love the Dwarven gods and I love the halfling and gnome gods. Mm. And I think, David, did we get any for like evil gnome gods? Because I don't, I don't even know. Oh. Yeah, because that bummed me out because mm. I love the gnome gods and I know that most people don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're super fun. They have like the seven hills and the, you know, they're all they all have a happy place and then the evil one is what a mole essentially so yeah all the fun stuff the one thing that we like joked about out of the major goddesses the one who didn't get in was akadi because nobody pitched for akadi so two writers wrote akadi into their adventures so she's still in the book <laughs> she's still there somewhere <laughs> So obviously one of the big highlights about this uh, anthology is obviously the beautiful art pieces that are throughout it. Is there any particular favorite pieces that you both have or like how, again, going through the process of, obviously they are of the goddesses in the book, but was there a way like when you sort of giving out, or you were like sort of divvying it up, like what was the brief for them and which ones were your favorites? If you can again, pick. Yeah. So uh, when we brought the artists on, we had the artists do kind of like a little, survey of what we gave them all the goddesses in the book and said pick your top five and we'll try and make sure that you get assigned to one of those top five and we were actually able to match everyone with one of their top five it took a bunch of like juggling to do it Hmm. but we ended up doing it and what we did for briefs was we got the writers to kind of fill out like a questionnaire sheet on their adventure that said like give us one iconic moment from the adventure give us one time your goddess showed up, give us an item, uh, an NPC, and one other thing, whatever you want. And then we gave those to the artists and said, here's some stuff, use this as inspiration. But we didn't kind of say like, oh, you have to do this specific thing, because we wanted the artists to have as much room to mm-hmm. kind of do something that fit their style and fit what they were comfortable with and as we could. And we even told them that, like, if you have a really good idea and it's not on the sheet, just talk to us about it. And so that they had as much freedom as as they could. Gwen and I kind of did, we played the art director role for the book. So mm-hmm. every piece of art that came through, we saw the initial sketches, gave feedback. And um, in some cases, that was like kind of technical art feedback. In some cases, that was oh, here's a way that you could add something from the adventure to kind of like pull it together more and make sure that it's as representative of the adventure as we can get. But as far as uh, favorites, like the adventures that I really like, ones that push things in weird directions, Mm -hmm. uh, I tend to be the same with the art. The art in the book is ridiculous. It's incredible. (laughs) Every time I'd see a work in progress, I was like, you actually want to work with us? Like, (laughs) you know, this This is is a revenue share, right? Like this, we can't pay you like thousands of dollars for this piece. (laughs) Yeah. So trying to like pick a favorite is difficult because they're all so ridiculously good. But um, the piece for the Raven Queen adventure, um, which Carrie Kawachi did, I worked with Carrie pretty closely when we were when she was working on this and she kind of went into it only knowing that like oh she wanted to do some sort of a tassel dress on the Raven Queen but we started talking about like how there's so many depictions of the Raven Queen out there mostly because of critical role yeah and she really wanted to pull away from those general aesthetics that B 
became popular through Critical Role. So we started talking about like, how can you stretch this? How can you make it different and weird and, and just something totally unique? And she stretched it and stretched it and added things until it became like, when she gave me the first concept painting that she did of the new Raven Queen design, Gwen and I both looked at it and started screaming at each other like, oh my God, this is so good. This is perfect. <laughs> uh, so seeing that whole kind of process where she started off with a, a really small concept and mm-hmm. just gradually expanded it and expanded it until it became what it is, is, is my favorite. Yeah, I love that piece. Carrie's so good. I am a sucker for baby monsters. I love them <laughs> so much. I will put them in any of my games all the time so I love all of the art but the one that just brings me joy when I look at it is uh, Margarita Borkova's great mother art through a mother's eyes with like all of the eyes and the beholder avatar and the baby beholder just like reaching towards her ah it's so cute it is so cute and it, again very again all these pieces of art i you, i can see them as posters i see them as background like they, there's it's as, as you said they are so high quality and so beautiful it's stunning like i when i eventually have a house and i have a coffee table that book is going on the coffee table so that people can look through it so i think it's such a beautiful book even just to look for it if you if you never get a chance to run it just looking for the artwork is just gorgeous so yeah I, I, all of your artists have done such an incredible job so kudos for you guys for getting them in <laughs> <laughs> to, to do such a good job yeah. you know, when I first saw the char art I was like this is like a movie poster or something like mm. this is like this is like not what you would see in an adventure book this like belongs blown up really big on a wall yeah well like we had we had over 200 writing pitches we had just under 100 artists oh. that pitched for us yeah uh, so we had a, a ton of different ton of different portfolios to go through that was a fun day <laughs> sitting there yeah, going, and through, going the through the writing pitches we had a whole panel of readers and it was like several processes of the panel then going down to the admin team uh for the artist it was just david and gwen <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it was just us sitting in a discord call going through them one by one like oh my god this one's really good oh my god this one's really good oh my god why is this person pitching for us they're really good (laughs) but yeah we ended up with I think 32 artists all said and done which is more than any other RPG book I've worked on usually it ends up being about two writers per one artist Mm -hmm. for most books that I've worked on and this one we had one and a half artists per writer so (laughs) that's why there's so much art in the book and we didn't didn't break any artists back (laughs) doing it because we don't uh We had each of the artists that did a full page piece, did a full page and one spot art. Mm. And then we had four other spot artists that did three, three or four spot arts each. Mm -hmm. And then we also had our cartographers. Mm. Yes. We had three cartographers, four cartographers. Wow. Did an amazing job. Yes. Yeah. The, the maps are incredible. And yeah. And it, there's a, again, apologies. I can't remember exactly which adventure it is, but I think it's, if it is the Beholder one where it's, it's, it's just a huge sort of, almost like a cut into a, a, a layer of some sort. It was the Elder Brain one, I think. I can't remember, but, but it's just beautiful and purple. And again, something I would just be like, just have that on the wall. And it's like, this is, this is my room now. <laughs> this is where I live. <laughs> yeah. That one um, where it shows like the shaft going down. Cause it's like a vertical map. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's uh, the Beholder one. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Saga yeah. did that Saga. one. Yeah, did right. that one and full of eyes and teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So going from the initial like idea of hey, we've got an idea to sort of obviously delivering the final book. How long did that whole process take you? And what were your, I guess, favorite bits? Obviously, I know the hard bits are obviously logistics and like deadlines and all that sort of thing. But what, what were the fun bits about it? Yeah. So that process actually took basically six months. Yeah, I was going to um, say, the long answer is it took two years from when Ashley had the idea of like, <laughs> hey, did you know Umberly is called the sea bitch? We should do a book <laughs> to fix that. Um, but then when Gwen was like, hey, remember when Ashley said that thing about Umberly? We're making that book. <laughs> so that was like six, I think seven months once it actually got published with the print proofs. Yeah, so the, the whole development of the book from the time we sent out the call for writers in basically we sent out the call for writers in June and we finished all the content in, by December, wow. um, like early December. So it was basically almost exactly six months, I think, plus or minus like three days mm -hmm. uh, to, to create the whole book. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, and then it was and just then waiting on print proofs and stuff. Yeah, there was another month off the back just waiting on a print proof, but everything in there kind of got like, I think all the writing took maybe three months and then art was about the same. So yeah, kind of had some overlapping timelines that worked pretty well. And the editing uh, was like a month, not the proofreading. I mean, like the dev editing went along with the writing. Yeah, exactly. Definitely some overlapping timelines that worked pretty well for us to keep it contained. But yeah, the definitely favorite parts was every time we brought new people in. So we started out bringing in all the writers into the discord and then I think we did a, after a month, we brought in all the artists and then another month we brought in all the editors. And every time that all the new people are joining and people are meeting each other and learning about each other and just like connecting on random nerd stuff in the discord was always just like peak <laughs> creative energy. Yes. Everyone's so happy and it's, it was definitely the best part. Oh, and I really like, uh, we have, designated channels in the discord where like the artists can ask for help or share their finished pieces and the writers can ask for help and the editors can ask each other questions but i really love seeing like the care and kindness and thoughtfulness that everybody provides feedback mm -hmm. so whatever channel it's in when somebody is like hey i'm having trouble with this can somebody take a look at it and help me there's always thoughtful and kind critique and yes. there and i just love seeing the team help each other because we have one of the things that we intentionally did when getting people for the project was we wanted veterans as well as people who like this was their first anthology this was their first publication so seeing people who'd been doing this you know for like 20 years as well as people who were coming in with brand new fresh ideas mm -hmm. like just literally helping each other because everybody needs help sometimes yeah. and bouncing ideas off of each other from these very different perspectives was like I love that I love seeing that yeah. I think it's yeah. it's interesting when I love creative supporting creatives and like this is one of the reasons I've started this podcast is so I can I get to talk to people about how great their stuff is because I love it um <laughs> but it's but it's right right because we live in a time where the world's not great just now and to be able to create something and to show it with other people who instantly think it's absolutely amazing you've got trouble with it well have you thought about this and this and just but not going oh you've clearly done this wrong it's like okay we're going to help you do it and it's oh it's such a a rare occurrence that you don't get in other jobs you don't get it and you really in your 
nine to five. It's not encouraged because it's like it's all it's all about stats and money, right? But whereas the creatives are like, you've made something beautiful. We want to share in that beauty. We want to appreciate it. And I, I completely agree. The creative industry it can be hard at times, but I think having that beautiful spirit to actually talk and critique people and help people along it makes it worthwhile and then you get to create beautiful stories like you you guys have done so ah that's that's maybe so heartwarming that you guys had such a lovely little community to do it that's oh that's what we're so happy it's something that we've always kind of talked about how you come into uncaged and you leave with a family Mm -hmm. there's no other creative community like i've worked on i think upwards of 30 different projects now Mm-hmm. Um, but no creative community is the same Sorry. as working on Uncaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Like, there's no book that I've worked on that has the amount of collaboration that Uncaged does. And especially like Goddesses was kicking that up to 11. Mm-hmm. Like it isn't uncommon for one of these adventures to have, have had 10 or 12 people's hands in it. Mm-hmm. Just reading it over, offering suggestions, things to add to it or actual editing. So yeah. What would your main advice be for somebody who's obviously got your book and is like, this is amazing and is about to run one of the adventures? What big like sort of top tip would you give to any GM who's about to do that? I mean, I wrote that thing at the beginning. That's the guide for running tier four adventures. And I think in addition to like the use safety tools, cause that's just my guide for running any adventure, but like really emphasizing the don't be afraid of wish. Don't be afraid of your players, <laughs> high tier abilities. Like, mm-hmm. These have been play tested to hell and back. And if your players break the adventure, like good for them, go with it, do something fun, let them do something weird and wild because they don't get to be level 20 very often or for Mm -hmm. very long. So let them do their funky stuff. Let them, let them have fun. (laughs) Yeah. And like kind of off the back of that, the same thing goes for the DM too. Like, it's not often that you get to role play as a goddess. Mm. So go ahead and have fun with it and be the the all-powerful goddess that you're meant to be and <laughs> just have fun with it. I like that. I think that's just like everyday mantra, right? Be the evil goddess that you're meant to be. <laughs> I love that. Are there any official plans to carry on the Uncaged anthology at all that, that you're aware of or you, you can talk about? There's actually not. We kind this of is meant the finale. <laughs> Yeah, we meant for this to be the the finale and the capstone of the whole kind of series. But when we were working on it, we had a, a chat with Ashley Warren, who kind of started the series, obviously, and said, like, this seems like a good place to end it with tier four, with goddesses. And for right now, there's not a not a plan to keep going with the series because basically there, there's not a lot of places to go after after goddesses. But something that we talked about even with the, all the creators on goddesses was that you can kind of take the the core ethos of uncaged of bending tropes of doing feminist takes on things and there's no limit to places you can apply that mm-hmm. so there may not be another uncaged book coming but it doesn't mean there's not going to be other spin-offs from it that take on that same sort of uh, same sort of message and apply it elsewhere the same way that there was when we did the first four volumes mm-hmm. um, were tons of, of spin-off projects from that. And I know some of the some of the writers and editors have already gotten together and are working on a spin-off project right now that nice. like we the admins are not involved in. So I'm yeah. really excited to see what they do. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So it, it continues on in some way, whether it's like you said, a spin-off one, or even if we just go, actually, let's just change, let's just change the narrative, guys, in our own games. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. So what about you two? Have you got any other sort of projects in the works for the future we can talk about? What are sort of your plans for the foreseeable future? So we do have something in the works, but it's it's pretty early. So we're we're kind of keeping it pretty close to the vest right now. But we we definitely do have something coming in the future. <laughs> in addition to that, I am working on. I actually have to finish it today because my deadline's tomorrow. I am working on uh, something for the next issue of Queer Finder, which is the queer magazine for Pathfinder. So I wrote an article for the first issue and my lesbian cat folk and her long suffering elven wife will be returning (laughs) with more (laughs) nonsense for issue number three. Perfect. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for coming to chat to me today. Where can we find your work? Do you have any social media that people can follow? And where can we get Uncaged Goddesses? You can find me on Twitter at Miss underscore Jess 03 or get me on my website at JessicaMarkramWrites.com. You can watch live plays of Uncaged Goddesses run by me every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash angrynerdgirl. And um, you could buy Uncaged Goddesses on the DMs Guild. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at David Markuski. That's pretty much the only place to find me. <laughs> But yeah, you can find me there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate having the time with you today. Thanks Thanks for having us. us.